morning. My name is Scott Jackson. If you're new to Riverside and you don't know me, uh, we've been a part of Riverside for a long time here. My wife and I run a ministry, lead a ministry called Thrive Leadership Foundation, where we come alongside of pastors and wives in ministry and help them to thrive so that churches can be thriving and impacting their communities with the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about that, we have a display set up in the in the basement downstairs, uh, in the fellowship hall, and you can learn more about our ministry. Let's ask the Lord to teach us this morning as we open up his word and we start talking about this most wonderful time of the year, as we say. Father, we thank you that because of Christmas and because of you sending your son Jesus, we can call you our father because Jesus made that way possible through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so, Father, as we come to begin to celebrate Advent, the first coming, when you sent your son Jesus, we are just grateful that you are the one who is working in our hearts, in our lives, and in our midst today. Father, help us to just continue to reflect on what you've done for us, and then help us to be mindful of the the fact that we need to be sharing that with others that you put in our path, that you put in our life each and every day. Father, help us to truly live out what Christmas is all about in our lives, not just at Christmas time, but all year long, because Christmas is about what you have done for us, and you have brought us hope, and you have brought us life through your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I've already mentioned that I love Christmas. I love lights. Uh, I love putting up decorations and and getting out all those fun things. I love Christmas food. Any of you love Christmas food? Is a particular Christmas food, a particular Christmas cookie you like, or maybe a pie, or maybe it's the actual Christmas meal that you celebrate, or maybe it's just that fruitcake that people send you, you know, that everybody makes a joke about. I love raisin-filled cookies. Maybe you've never had a raisin-filled cookie, but they were my grandmother's specialty. And they have a layer on the bottom of dough and a layer on top of dough, and inside there is this raisin, almost like a raisin pie-type filling inside that is just delicious. And uh, I love raisin-filled cookies. And it's a reminder of my, of my grandparents and uh, the impact that they had in my life. And my grandfather loved Christmas. He would not let anybody help decorate his Christmas tree. Anybody in here like that? He was the only one that could decorate his Christmas tree. And I mean, he put his icicles or tinsel, whichever you call them, it's a big debate in my home, but he would put his icicles on one strand at a time as he put them on his tree. And his tree looked perfect. Every year it looked perfect, you know, but none of us were allowed to help Grandpa decorate the Christmas tree. Christmas is one of those times when you you, you look at everything around us, though, and and I heard this song this week on the radio, and it's a very familiar Christmas song, but the words just kind of jumped off the page at me. It's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Any of you know that song, right? Pretty familiar, right? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. And then notice this next phrase. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. When's the last time that happened? It continues. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, your troubles will be miles away. Through the years, we'll all be together. And then in the modern version, it says, if the fates allow. And I say in the modern version because I did some research on this this song this week and the origin of it. And Hugh Martin was the man who, with another fellow who wrote that song. And when they originally wrote it, 
they wrote it, through the years we, we all will be together if the Lord allows. That's the original words in it. But when it was taken to Hollywood for them to use it in a movie, and I forget who used it first offhand, but when they went to use it in the movie, they said, no, that's too religious. You've got to remove that from it. And they went back to Hugh Martin and said, you've got you've to take that out of there. And you've got to put it in there if the fates allow. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. How real is that, truly, folks? When we look at what it is, and, and I love all the Christmas music, not just the, the religious Christmas music. I, I love all the Christmas music. I enjoy it so much. But when we look at the reality of it, we begin to ask, what is this all about? And, and you know, I mean, I saw one of the recent commercials <coughs> during a football game. These are famous during football games. It was a Bud Light commercial. And it talks about Christmas, right? And, and he's getting Christmas presents. Well, it sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? But it's Christmas. They've changed it. And the one guy is saying to the other guy as they stand there, what's this all about? And everybody's giving him a case of Bud Light. And he says, this is a holiday invented to the crisp taste of Bud Light. You know, we've gotten a distance from Christmas. I love how Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, says it this way. Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a major secular holiday, arguably our culture's biggest. Two different celebrations, each observed by millions of people at the same time. And he goes on to say, but the essentials of our faith sometimes become visible during this season. That's one of the reasons I love Christmas so much. You can't get away from going into a store and hearing joy to the world. And the gospel isn't any plainer than in the song Joy to the World as you listen to it. In fact, Keller references Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and I hadn't looked at it this closely before. And he says there, Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Explain that to your four-year-old. Four-year-old goes, Hey, Mommy, what's that Hark Angels thing going on, you know? There's these angels at Christmas. What about, what's this God and sinners reconciled? What's just Jesus, our, what's Emmanuel mean? What if your children started asking those kind of questions and you just celebrated the secular side of, Christ, of Christmas? Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, born that man may no more die. Born to give them second birth. Mommy, what's that second birth thing all about that that song's talking about? You see, there's, there's two different holidays that are being celebrated in one. You can get upset about that. You can get mad about the secularization of, of Christmas. Forget it. Look at the opportunity it gives us to step into people's lives and to direct them to the good news of Jesus Christ. I like to stand in the line with the cashier and hopefully a, a song is playing in the background that's, that's got the Christmas, uh, true Christmas message in it. And I'll say, man, I really love that song, Joy to the World. Do, do you... Are you familiar with that song? And they sit there like, no. I say, wow, it really gives us hope in the midst of the disastrous life that we see around us all the time, amongst the darkness and the evil and the struggles that we face each and every day. It gives us real help, hope in the middle of that. Tim Keller goes on to say, and my whole message is not Tim Keller, but I have to read this quote. He says, to understand Christmas 
is to understand basic Christianity, the gospel. And we need to realize for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, Christmas is not a fairy tale. It's not a once upon a time story. Christmas is rooted in facts of history. Christmas is rooted in actually happening. That's why both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, where do they begin? They begin with the genealogies of Jesus Christ. They both give us genealogies of Jesus Christ. One on Joseph's side, one on Mary's side. And they give us that because they say, hey, here's the heritage that has come down to the point where Jesus is born, where the hope of the world comes to life right in front of us. And he comes in a little baby. We talk about our dark world. It's full of evil. It's full of untold suffering. The suffering going on around the world today is immense. And we feel very little of that actual suffering here in this country. But Jesus was born into a world of violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees fleeing oppression, families being ripped apart, bottomless grief, just like today. That was the world Jesus was born into. There was darkness and depression all around. And no one had a cure for the evil and the suffering. This is a reminder for us. Our lives, our country, our community, the world around us, and I want you to get this this morning, doesn't need fixed. We all like to fix things, don't we? We like to fix broken relationships. We like to see people get fixed from their diseases. We like to see fixes happen in our lives, in families, and in our culture, and in the world. We want to fix things. But none of this stuff needs fixed. What it does need, it needs redeemed. And that's why Christmas is so important. Jesus came to redeem us. He came to redeem the brokenness. He came to redeem our lives. Ez asked me a couple months ago to come and to preach in December, and this is the Sunday that worked for both of our schedules. And uh, I asked him, I said, so will that be the, the, the first Sunday of, of the, the Christmas series? He goes, yeah, it's the first Sunday of our Christmas series. I said, great. I said, what's the Christmas series? You know what he said to me? Get this. He said, you can preach on whatever you want about Christmas. Well, you know, that's great. But do you ever get lost in the freedom? You know, I could preach from Genesis to Revelation because in reality, it's all about Christmas. It's either pointing to the Savior coming or pointing to the Savior coming a second time. It's all about Christmas. And so I have the the whole Bible to choose from. And and you kind of get lost in that freedom. I kind of go, I kept saying to Lynn, I don't know what passage I want to preach on. I don't know where I want to preach at Riverside at Christmas. I I just don't, I don't know quite what to pick. And and I was kind of lost in that freedom. But you know what? That's how we get lost in our freedom that we enjoy in this country, isn't it? When I've talked to Christians who were persecuted around the world, when I spoke to Christians in Romania shortly after the revolution and the persecution that they'd been under in Romania and and they talked to me about you know there there was no bickering between Christians there was no bickering between different denominations in Romania they were all they were all struggling for their their lives numerous of them had been put in prison for their faith had been arrested for their faith 
they, they couldn't go out and share freely the good news. They wanted me to talk about evangelism my first trip there back in 1994. And, and I started talking about evangelism. And there was all these blank stares on their faces. And I said to my translator, I said, this isn't getting through. And I sat down with one of the, the, the pastors and I said, we've got to talk about this. You're, you want me to speak on evangelism and what it means to go out and evangelize. But I said, I, I don't think I'm communicating very well. He said, the problem is we have not been allowed to do that for so long. That it's such a foreign concept that he said when they hear it, it's just like, no, we can't even begin to step through that idea of sharing Jesus with our friends because we could be turned into the government and we could be arrested immediately. There are more Christians persecuted today around the world than at any other time in the history since Jesus came. Persecution continues to go on around the world. But we here in our country have the freedom to share Jesus with anyone that comes down the pike to us. The difficulty is, just like I got lost in the freedom of trying to land on a text to preach on this morning, you and I can get lost in the freedom. And I say you and I because we can both get lost in the freedom that we have in our culture, and we can be about all these other little things that draw our attention off from focusing on what life is all about as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we can follow after, and this will sound like a very strong word, but we can follow after our own little idols in our lives. Those little things that begin to take more of our attention than God in our lives. And we begin to focus on all these other little things. Just like we can do at Christmas time, we can focus on presents and we can focus on gifts and we can focus on lights on our trees and lights on our homes. And I, We can enjoy all that stuff, but that cannot be our focus in our lives. We cannot allow all these other little things to take precedent over our focus on God and what he has for us in our lives each and every day because we don't need to get lost in this freedom. It's amazing. That was, that's basically, if you, if you read through your Bible and in the Old Testament as you read through it, that's the message that's continually given to the people of God in the Old Testament. If you read through the book of Deuteronomy, it's a reminder of the law, and it just keeps saying, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget who has put you in this promised land. When you get to that promised land, don't forget, I'm the one who put you there. Don't forget. Why did God keep reminding them so often not to forget? Because he knows human nature. He knows that we are forgetful people. And when we live in ease and comfort, we can forget what life is all about as a follower of Jesus Christ. All the prophets, I've spent some time this fall reading through the, what's called the minor prophets. That's the little books at the end of the Old Testament. The, the short ones. Some of them are one chapter long. Some of them are three chapters. Others are about 10 or 11 or 12 chapters. But every message is consistent through all of those prophets. They were sent to the people of God. Why? Because they had started worshiping other things other than God adding things to their worship of God and putting things in place so that there was a mixture going on in their life and they had lost, they had lost their focus that the God who gave them everything they had is not the one that they are depending on and that they are worshiping and that they are following. So today I want to encourage us in our freedom to worship and in our freedom to celebrate Christmas, let's embrace the freedom, not waste the freedom. Let's see it as a privilege to gather like we're gathered here this morning in the freedom to celebrate. Let's not get lost in the freedom. 
don't let our, our just doing things the normal way of life that we go along, but let's make choices so that life doesn't stay the same and neither will Christmas. Let's move from seeing Christmas as a once upon a time fairy tale type story to realizing that it is history, it is the gospel, and it is the good news of Jesus Christ. As we look to Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 this morning, I want to read from Isaiah chapter 8 verse 21. God's people, if you read the previous verses in chapter 8, God's people, they had fallen away from following God and they began looking to mediums and talking to the dead, trying to figure out what they needed to do in their lives, trying to figure out how to fix the brokenness in their world around them. And verse 21 says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. They, they were looking for answers to satisfy their deepest needs in their lives. It says they will look to the earth. They, they looked all around them. They're looking around the world. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. That's all they found. Nothing could satisfy them in their lives. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Doesn't sound very good, does it, folks? And then God, at the end of the Old Testament, goes silent for 400 years. God has been speaking to his people regularly. It's recorded for us in the Old Testament, the, the writings of the Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament. God's been continually giving his message to his people, to his prophets, and to the leaders of Israel coming down through. And then we get to about 400 A.D., and God goes silent from 400 B.C. till just before Jesus is born. And it's as if there's such a darkness over the earth that where is God in the midst of my life? Do you ever find that way yourself? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like God's been silent to you? Do you ever feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and just coming back down? Do you ever feel like God has just turned a deaf ear to you? He's not paying attention to you. He's not listening to you. Can you imagine that being, we have a hard time if it's God doesn't pay attention to us for, for four days or four weeks or four months or four years. But this is 400 years God goes silent. I can't even grasp 400 years. 400 years God goes silent. And he's not saying anything. And then he shows up. And all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel gets very busy. You know, he visits a, this this priest by the name of Zechariah who's, who's ministering in the temple. He's going in. He's doing the sacrifice. And all of a sudden, a priest show, uh, an angel shows up next to the altar. Let me tell you what. There was no book that he was reading, no, no rules that he was looking, no directions that he was given as a priest to go in there and say, now, once in a while, a priest may ha uh, 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 an angel may hang out next to the, to the altar when you go in there to do this. There was nothing to tell him that at all. He goes in to do his ritual, to do his routine. God has been silent for 400 years. We're told he's blameless, he's faithful, he's a godly man. And an angel shows up next to the altar, and he is scared spitless. I mean, he is scared to death. And tells him that he and his wife, who are well beyond childbearing years, are going to have a, a son. They're going to call his name John. He will be John the Baptist as we know him. And then the angel shows up to Mary, a young girl up in Galilee. Shows up to this teenage girl and says, you're going to bear the Christ child. 
He will save his people from their sins. Then the angel shows up to Joseph, her soon-to-be husband. They were engaged. Angel shows up there and says, hey, uh, your fiance is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to do because the one who he, who, whom is in her womb will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And God steps back into our lives, not just through his prophets, not just through the leadership that he puts out there. God steps into our lives himself in the form of a little baby who was born that we celebrate, namely Jesus. I came across this verse. I never really had noticed it before. Do you ever have that happen to you when you're reading through Scripture and God just speaks to you? And you read through the verses and you begin to see it. And Luke 10 is a favorite chapter of mine. Luke 10 uh, is about sending the disciples on a short-term mission trip. And he sent them out two by two. And he sent them out to all the places where Jesus was going to visit and minister. And he, he sends them all out. And they all come back and they all report. Man, it's amazing the ministry that, 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 that you did through us, Jesus. And, and, you know, people were healed. And, and even the demons respect, responded to us. And we cast out demons as we went. And they were all excited about that. And... Jesus said to him, don't rejoice over that. He said, rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. And then in verse 23, he says these words that I never have seen before in this way. He said, then turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. I want to stop right there. That word blessed, we often get confused about. Oh, bless you. God bless you. You know, we say that when people sneeze. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a word that we just use commonly uh, to, to give a, a blessing into people's lives. And may God just bless you in this way. Blessings on you, we may say. It's a word that kind of has no meaning to us in reality when we think about it. I, I read it in one translation. It said, privileged. Privileged are the eyes that see what you see. Now notice verse 24. He says, for I tell you that many prophets and kings, that's speaking of the Old Testament, the prophets and the kings in the Old Testament, many prophets and kings desired, they had a passion to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Do you realize that you and I, not just the disciples in that day and age whom Jesus was talking to, but you and I are privileged far beyond the kings and the prophets in the Old Testament because when they were living on earth, they didn't get to see the hope that was talked about. They didn't get to see the one who was to come, who was the king of the Jews, the one who would come, who would free them, the one who would come and give them true life. They didn't get to see that. But the disciples did in that day and age. They were privileged to see and to hear and to actually walk with God on earth as they walked with Jesus during his lifetime. And you and I, because of their accounts, because of what they have written down for us, because of the records that they have given to us about what they experienced. Now we experience Jesus as we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and if we come to faith in him. Now we have a relationship with Jesus Christ because we have seen and we have heard that that others desired to and never got a chance to see. But we have been blessed. We have been privileged to see and to hear things that others never had the chance to to see. Back to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah continues on there after they were in darkness. It says, and this is also quoted in Matthew chapter 4 about Jesus. It said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them has light shone. Tell you, this light has come from outside. They were looking around the world. They were looking to mediums. They were looking to spiritists. They were looking at everything on the earth. We may look to technology today. We may look to money today. We may look to governments today. We may look to science today to solve all of our problems and, and to bring peace on earth and to bring uh, b- broken relationships back together. But the reality is it has to come from outside of us. And that's why Jesus had to come. And that's why Christmas is so important for each and every one of us. You see, this great light has shown this light, Jesus. That's why when we have all the lights on our trees and everything, what a great opportunity to say, man, I love these beautiful lights that are out in the street corners. And when you're talking to someone out there, man, I just, because it reminds me of the greatest light that came into the world, Jesus Christ. Let the conversation drop right there and see what happens. Because that's really what it's all about. Because your eyes and your ears have been opened and privileged to see and to hear things that all those in the Old Testament desired to see. And that is the Savior that was born, this Emmanuel, this child that was born to us. Drop down to verse 6 of chapter 9, and there's a very familiar passage to all of us. And it begins with, for to us, and I want to stop right there. Because often we jump over these little words. It's like a conjunction, a preposition, and a pronoun. And we just jump over this, for to us. A child is born. We, that's where we want to get. We want to get to the description of this child that was born. But don't miss for to us. This is for our benefit. This is in, for our behalf. This is something that God is giving into our lives. He's chosen it for us, and he's chosen to provide a Savior. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you realize that that God, and I've said this before, God eclipses everything that's happening in the world around us. God eclipses all the darkness that's in the world. He eclipses all the evil in the world. He eclipses all the suffering in the world. And God works through all of that to carry out his purpose in our lives each and every day. This light has come from without from somewhere outside of us, and it's come into our lives, namely the light of the world, as John tells us, Jesus Christ. Christmas for the Old Testament, Christmas and the coming of the Savior became the pinnacle point. That's what they were looking towards. If you look at the Old Testament, it's looking, it's looking towards the coming of the Messiah. It's looking towards what's going to come, and, that, and that's the pinnacle for us It's kind of like the apex, but then we go on further because it talks about we need to look for his second coming because Jesus is coming back again. We celebrate Advent, but we need to celebrate Advent this year looking towards, waiting for when Jesus comes again. This isn't the end, and the best is yet to come, folks. If we think Christmas is something, wait till he comes the second time and takes us to be with him. That's what it's really all about. That's where we need to be focused. And who did he give to us? How did he describe Jesus, the Savior that was born to us, this light that's come into the world? Those four words, I don't want to dig deep into them. I'm going to hit them quickly. The first one is Wonderful Counselor. Now, some people split that apart. Others see that as a title together, Wonderful Counselor. It doesn't matter how you look at it. He is the best counselor anyone could ever find because he understands our life. If you've got problems in your life, isn't it good to talk to someone else who has walked through some of the same difficulties and struggles that you've walked through? They're the best counselor, aren't they? 
someone who has, who has, who has been down that road before. And, and we need those who are in that counseling profession. That's very important to us. But we also, we do a lot of counseling one-on-one with individuals, don't we, in our own lives. It may be another family member. It may be a friend that is going through a difficulty. Maybe it's a difficulty in relationships. Maybe it's a difficulty health-wise. Maybe it's been the, the death of a loved one. And you've gone through that before, and you're able to come along and to comfort and to counsel and to encourage and, and, and help them understand how you walk that same path. And that's a good counselor. But, but Jesus is called a wonderful counselor. He's the best of all counselors. Why? Because he was a helpless baby. He was born in a manger. He was born to poverty and suffered infinite pain for us. He had struggles in his family life. He had family members that didn't think he was going the right way. In fact, they thought he was crazy and insane. They wanted to remove him from the ministry he was doing. There were difficulties and hard work at what he was doing. He had lack of money. He was homeless. He was abandoned by his friends. He was crushed by injustices. He felt the horrors of pain. He was tortured. He was humiliated. He was defeated. He was in despair. And he faced death. And then he displayed life for each and every one of us. And then he says, I've overcome it all so that I can now help you overcome it all by you putting your faith and trust in me. Jesus walked the same path that we are walking. He can be the best counselor we ever need because he has walked that path and even more for us. And he did that so he could give us new life. Mighty God. Do you ever think about him being the mighty God? Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is God himself. Read John chapter 1. And see how John talks about he was before anything that was created. And as the mighty God, that means he's sovereign. He can do more than we can think or imagine, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 3. He's the mighty God. You've got a problem. You think, oh, God can't handle this. You're not trusting the God of the Bible. Our God is the mighty God. He can handle any situation. It doesn't mean he's going to fix it the way you want it fixed. But he will redeem it and use it for his glory. And he will work in our lives even in the midst of the darkest times of our lives. He's the everlasting father. That means he's the creator of all. He's the father of everything. We read that again in John chapter 1 where John says, everything that has been created was created by the word, Jesus Christ. And he's the prince of peace. We're not talking about physical peace. He says, I don't give you peace like the world gives you peace. But the main peace that Jesus brought into our lives is peace between us and our relationship with our Heavenly Father and has restored us to a peace relationship with God himself as he stepped into our world. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. Do you know that God is present in your life? I was reading through Psalm 23 yesterday. Most of you know the psalm. I just want you to listen to the words of it. They're not going to be on the screen for you. Psalm 23 verse 4 kind of jumped off the page yesterday to me. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or through the, the darkest darkness, the darkest valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley, says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in your darkest times, even in the darkest valley that you can walk through, we do not need to fear it 
that doesn't, he doesn't say he's going to fix that situation. He says we don't need to fear that situation. That's different. And why don't we need to fear it? Because his rod and his staff, our hand is in the hand of Jesus, the great shepherd. And the great shepherd is the mighty God. You know what that rod and staff mean? He's packing when he walks with us. He's packing in two ways. He's packing to protect us from getting off the rails. And he's packing to protect us from the enemy so we don't need to be afraid. It doesn't mean the darkness goes away. It doesn't say that. But it says we don't need to fear because the one who is the mighty God is holding our hand and walking us through the darkest times of our lives. And we do not need to fear. He is present, says his rod and his staff, and it says, they comfort me. It's the idea that, that that eases the pain, that helps us to relax. Because when you're fearful, and I'm fearful, we're all tied up. We're, anxiety grips us, and we're all afraid, and we're all tense. We're able to relax. We're able to walk through it. He eases some of the pain. doesn't remove all the pain. doesn't say he removes the darkness, as I said. But he's there with us, because his rod and his staff are right there next to us all the time. That's what Christmas is all about. And as we anticipate Christmas and celebrating on that special day, we need to remember that it's something that we need to celebrate all year long. And it's a privilege that we've been given. I close with this verse from the New Testament from the book of Titus. Because I think it sums up everything that we've talked about this morning. It sums up the privilege that we have. It sums up being lost in the freedom in our lives. And it sums up that we need to be looking forward to that time when Jesus Christ is coming again. Titus 2.11 says it this way. For by the grace of God... For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's the first advent. That's Jesus coming. That's his birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. All wrapped up in that statement. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Verse 12 is not getting lost in the freedom. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's the idea. We don't want to get lost in the freedom. But we want to live for Jesus in the freedom. One comment on that from my time in Romania. Uh, one of the leaders of the ministry over there in Romania by the name of Eugene Groza. He came and he preached when I was pastoring at Warrington Fellowship Church. He came there and he spoke to our church. And, and we sat down with a group of our leaders afterwards. And, and he said to us, he goes, folks, he goes, you've got to teach us how to live for Jesus in freedom. He said, we know how to live for Jesus in persecution. He goes, we don't know how to live for Jesus in freedom. And I sadly said to him, I said, we don't do a good job of that either. Because in the freedom we get lost and we start following everything else around us. Don't get lost in the freedom. It trains us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of our God and Savior. This is the second event. God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his very own possession who are zealous for good works. Where are you at this morning in your celebration of Christmas? I hope this morning that maybe we've nudged ourselves a little bit closer to the reality of Christmas in our lives. 
we can enjoy all the, the things that are going on around us and you can have yourself a wonderful, a merry little Christmas and you can celebrate. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But let's not miss that Christmas is about the fact that a Savior has been born and a Savior eventually died and a Savior rose again so that we could have new life and life in a relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that new life with Jesus this morning, we invite you to talk to one of us this morning after the service. We'd be glad to share with you what it's like to have a new life in Jesus Christ. But for most of us here, the challenge is don't get lost in the freedom. But see the opportunities and the privilege that we have. We not only have seen and heard this message, now we have a responsibility to share this message. We have a responsibility to live this message out in our lives each and every day. And as we go into this world during this wonderful time of the year, may we listen keenly to the conversations around us and just input little things about light and hope and peace and what that looks like through Jesus Christ. Just little simple phrases. Not whole diatribes because you lose people with whole diatribes. Just do a phrase a sentence, a comment about your hope, about why you get excited about Christmas, about what God is doing for you, and then watch as God shows up in those circumstances and in those lives that he has placed you in front of. Let's celebrate Christmas for all it is every day of the year. Let's pray.